So, good, good afternoon, everyone. Can you put the slides back? I think we're about ready to get going. Uh, and uh, welcome, everyone, to uh, Cancer Center Grand Rounds. Uh, thanks for uh, the big turnout here, and welcome to those of you watching remotely as well. Uh, so today, uh, Alfredo Torado Ramos is going to talk to us and with his colleagues, uh, Will Haslett and uh, <clears throat> John Higgins. This is a highly skilled uh, group of biomedical informaticists who are going to tell us about that. Uh, Alfredo uh, is a well-traveled uh, scholar. <laughs> uh, I guess you started in Mexico uh, and has been all over the world many times, but uh, and came to us via youth Maybe University that. of Texas uh, down in San Antonio. Um, and uh, he, is, he has many titles. Professor of Biomedical Data Science and Director of the Biomedical Data Science Research Software Sorry. Laboratory and the uh, Synergy Clinical and Translational Research Biomedical Informatics, uh, and is also the Scientific Director of Biomedical Informatics at Dartmouth-Hitchcock. So uh, he uh, is uh, going to do sort of a tag team uh, presentation here with his colleagues, uh, Will Haslett, uh, PhD here from uh, our former uh, CECS program, uh, now TDI, and uh, John Hill, a time uh, uh, laborer in, in data science here, and, and uh, many of us know him very well. These are central folks in biomedical mathematics departments. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you very for coming. I was just telling Thor that, wow, free food really does bring people, right? <laughs> so thanks, everybody, for coming. This is going to be a little bit different than the regular grand rounds, probably, because mostly because this is informatics. Informatics is really the old bird in the school of medicine, normally. And uh, <clears throat> uh, you, some of you might have seen or not the, the, the screensaver we had earlier before. There was this type of, like, website where you could drop down things and choose things. This, is, this was basically a shameless plug for something that we're very excited about. This is a, it's, it's a tool. It's called I2B2, integrating uh, the patient from the bedside to the bank to the, to the clinic or something like this. The important thing is it's a tool. It's an informatics tool that acts just like a website. You can get your credentials. You can log into it, and you can... Very easily, within a matter of seconds, you can find, you can uh, 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 discover a cohort of patients you might be interested in. But that means that if you ever wonder for your grant, for your, for your KO2 award, for your research, if you wonder what type of patients we have here at Dartmouth in the cancer center registry or like in the whole system, as a, in the system as a whole, and you wonder what type of, what, how many uh, women between this age and that age are taking this type of drug, but not that type of drug, had this, invasion, this type, of, type of intervention during this particular time period, you can use that tool to find that out. And so if, you're, if this, is, uh, this is the type of tools that informatics is, is really about, and needs to lead to support things like clinical trial, patient accrual, or identification of, uh, uh, of cohorts for your research. 
So this is just something that just to get your mind started on what informatics is about. And uh, yeah, so, my, so I'm Alfredo, and uh, I would like to introduce as well my colleagues, Will Haslett and John Higgins, which you probably already know, and they will be talking to you as well, probably something about more, much more interesting and hands-on. I will, I will basically tell you a few words about what we do uh, here as a disclosure. And uh, first of all, I would like to thank Linda, Linda Kennedy there, who invited me to do this talk. Uh, thank you very much. And Steve, who was really pushing me to accept to do this talk. So uh, this is really basically what we're, I'm going to be talking about. My other two colleagues will talk about a little bit different topics all related to informatics. <clears throat> and basically, I'm going to talk a little bit about, well, what's computer <coughs> science, what's biomedical informatics. Uh, I'm going to be talking about different things that, that uh, biomedical informatics uh, cover. One of the main things that are related uh, in cancer would be computable phenotyping, which is what I just described, finding cohorts of patients uh, into using machine-readable uh, uh, tools. And uh, just some future iterations. And well, we're going to try and we're going to try to not find to not to find the Minotaur on there. Uh, so oh, again, my name is Alfredo. So I'm a, I'm a, I'm a PhD in, comput in computational science from the University of Amsterdam. Uh, uh, I did I did over there. I work mostly in uh, in uh, risk and uh, decision support, which is like simulation based decision support for cardiovascular disease, like. Uh, simulating uh, uh, arteries and the blood flow through it, and uh, and also infectious disease. In this case, was uh, HIV drug uh, resistance. Uh, I'm also I also before that I was at the University of Arizona. Well, I work on teleradiology, which was basically trying to figure out how to best uh, utilize radiologists within the army. I was working mostly at Fort Huachuca, but working uh, with, uh, with with carriers. Uh, and uh, after I, I, I was done with my with my studying in my <coughs> late 50s, well, I started work. I started working at Emory University, and uh, at Emory University, I was working mostly on decision support for HIV-related cancer research. I had a very very I was very lucky to work with some of the top uh, uh, HIV scientists in the field, like Carlos del Rio, and uh, it was it was really an honor to really start working there. Um, at uh, the University of Texas in San Antonio, where I moved later, I, were, I was working mostly on uh, what I was talk I'm, I'm going to be talking about, which is computer phenotyping, which is, like, like I mentioned, uh, new, finding innovative ways, new ways of finding cohorts of patients for research. I was focused mostly on health disparities, because in South Texas, where San Antonio is, uh, health disparities are a big issue. And... Uh, one of one of my passions is uh, I, I mentioned since I was a student, it was it's like simulation. So I, one of the things I'm really interested in, and what my research program is really, once it starts here at Dartmouth, is probably going to be on simulation of uh, some things like, like uh, infectious disease or or this type of uh, this type of things. So so far I've been here for a few months, three four more three four months, thanks to Dr. Green over here. Thank you very much for bringing me. And uh, work, I've been working basically day and night on uh, working on the on the uh, on our clinical translational science uh, award. We're going to have for renewal. We're very excited about that to see what the next step, what we can do with informatics for the next step. 
after after the first one. Uh, I've been working with a very 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 nice people from epidemiology and uh, on uh, trying to set up uh, uh, with Valor. Uh, grant trying to uh, look at HIV, HPV related cancers in, uh, in it's, a, it's, a, it's a very interesting cohort that is shaping to include uh, Central American and Caribbean countries and, uh, and uh, I've been working also trying to help uh, the Superfund, the, a very interesting project working on toxics in food uh, uh, mercury and arsenic in foods and uh, We've done a little bit, a little bit of, of, of work, just starting to help, trying to, to advise mostly the echo randomized and other projects here that one. I am from Mexico, from Mazatlan. I suggest you, you visit one day, beautiful beach town. Very good if you like surfing. Uh, and this is really the, the heart of, of what I want to talk about. It, which is like, uh, of course, nowadays, 21st century, we're talking, we're really in science, the, the big issue is multi-scale complexity, multi-level complexity, right? From, in the, uh, we, I mentioned toxins, right? The toxins, in the toxicity in, in, uh, in the food stamps, all the way to the toxicity, toxicity that goes to uh, the mother to child. We're talking about uh, complexity in clinical trials, so not only, not only okay, uh, what can we find in the medical record that can be linked to biobank uh, specimens, all the all the way from uh, from uh, genomics to populations? This is what really what we're what we're working on in science nowadays. We're not silos anymore, right? We're trying to to make this 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 teams this team science we, we call it now, and and my whole point of this of putting this is that I really think that computer science and informatics in this case. Is really the glue that ties these this, this, uh, this new types of sciences. So scientific productivity is not really the problem. Data is not really the problem. We have plenty of data. But how to communicate it, how to communicate the data, make sense of this data, this is really what we're working on right now in informatics, right? And now it comes to the, the trick question. Anyone who has heard, heard me talking before knows this question because I always ask this question. You know the difference between computer science and informatics? Anyone? Yeah? So computer science deals with systems, right? How to make the system better, how to, you know, how to, how to, how to look at, how to apply mathematics and engineering techniques for the, to, to, look, to look at the system and make it better. Informatics, what we do here, is data-centric. It's about data. We, we, we don't care how to produce, how, how, how the, the pixel can be, the voxel can be, you know, acquired better. What we want to know is, okay, we have data. What, okay, how do we process the data? How do we manage the data? How do we retrieve it and make sense of it? This is what we do here, and that's what biomedical informatics is really about. So, yeah, I don't have much time. I should, I should probably continue, but basically, this is what I'm talking about. Uh, the quantification of information is really is really uh, what we're talking about. The the early 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 uh, efforts on this is basically something called HL7, Health Level Seven, in, within biomedical informatics, right? Which was really the first, the, the one of the first worldwide efforts to really make sense of data within a hospital system and try to make it understandable within the from the radiology information system to the picture archiving system to mumps. The, the, the communication to the hospital information system. And this is based on, on channel signal, worker signal processing, of course. And this is what I'm talking about. 
This is, for example, what is data, what is information, right? Well, you can, as you can see, the data, for example, is, uh, well, we have city, is uh, The Hague, we have a uh, given name, Hendrikus, but what is the information? The information really is that this person, uh, born in 1975, is in, uh, is in, uh, lives in Rotterdam. This is the, the type of difference we make be between data and information. And then we go into knowledge, which is, okay, we have the data, we make sense of this information, and, that, and then we, we have to make sense, we're we kind of trying to make sense of this and gain knowledge from this. For this, normally, scientists, what they do, we model, right? We try to understand the world around us, and we have all kinds of, of ways in informatics to model data. We have macroscopic models, something like the unified modeling language, where we, where we take a system, an entity, anything you can think of, and we, we, we model it, we can base it on our objects and then informal semantics. We can also do like uh, very microscopic models where we do like message passing, when we do very fine grain formal semantics with, with uh, mathematical models. And of course, again, this is no, one is not better than the other. It's just that there's different tools for different problems. And this goes to, by, to decision support. This is really what we're trying to do. What we're trying to do is we're trying to use the cognitive active, uh, uh, aspects of the decision making from the, from the expert, from the domain expert, from the oncologist, from the epidemiologist, from, from, uh, from the, the scientist, and try to, do, to build inference engines, and try to build methodologies, models, and frameworks for aggregation of the data, Simulation of the data that can give us more knowledge. And of course, the whole point is trying to make good decisions, right? So can we make these good decisions? Can we make good decisions that improve the outcomes, right? We all heard the, the, like the butterfly effect, right? We make a small decision in, in the beginning that make, can make a, have a high impact later on. So one of the ways to do this is to create the infrastructure and the tools to start building these decision support systems. Here at Dartmouth, one of the things we're building at Synergy is we're trying to build this, this decision support system, this framework that is going to allow uh, data from the cancer center, data from other sources, from EPIC, from any other source we may have, get our hands on, and put this into some type of uh, warehouse, some kind of big bucket that we can then uh, use some different type of processes so we can make sense of this data and make it available to the scientists. <coughs> this is a little, bit, a, little bit, a little bit more detail, but again, it's the same thing. Basically, we have the different data sources. We have, we have the electronic health record, some registries, biorepository metadata, things that we can actually pull into some type of into some type of uh, repository that then can be accessed through a web browser. I mentioned before I2B2, which is the video you saw at the beginning. This is really one of the core cornerstones of, 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 the, of the system, of the decision support system that we're building. That Again, I, I will just keep repeating this just because I'm trying to make uh, you aware of this. We have workshops on how to use this, how to access this. And uh, uh, my colleague, John Higgins, is going to tell you much more about that. And, and, and here, if you see here, well, actually, this is better like here, on this one. If you see here, the, the research data warehouse. So what's in there? 
What's in there? What's it, it, what we put in there is the things that we, might, we think you might be interested in. So right now, today, this is up and running, and we have this type of data. We have these this this numbers of patients, the information of their demographic, diagnosis, labs. We have different type of terminology that is standard, so we can interact other, with other consortium and with other partners. And we have all this information, all these millions and millions of information on, on cancer, medications, and labs, and it's all your fingertips right now using these type of tools. This is actual data right now in the, in the data warehouse. And this is more like a logic schema for what that would look like, right? We have procedures, diagnosis, demographics, labs, medications, and this actually map to different type of models. These models, you don't have to worry about that. The only, the only thing that means is that, for example, since we have NASR, our cancer data is in NASR, we can very easily connect and interact with other people who have similar data warehouses that interact with it. And so we can create networks of, of, of science. One of the tools that is also available here that you've probably heard of is REDCap. Here you can see it's, this is a tool that you can use for acquiring data and managing data. This, uh, if you see here, for, for example, this is the, the type of the number of, of users we have in REDCap since its launch in 2014 to now 2018. So you, you can see we have more than, more than a million, more than 1,000 users uh, accessing this type, of the, this type of tools for their studies. And I mentioned this tool, I2B2, and, what, and, and, and this is the, the, one of the tools, there's one of many, that we, we, we use when we try to do continuous phenotyping. What computable phenotyping is just a fancy name for trying to, to, write, to, 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 to set a very specific machine-readable inclusion-exclusion criteria to find a patient cohort. And, but this has to be generalized enough so it can be reused and it can be, it can be shared with, with your colleagues, right? Uh, and we, of course, we use the, the type of uh, terminologies that are standard. And... Uh, and uh, this is just an other other uh, type of models that we I mentioned I2B2. There's other models. There's there's OMAP. There's uh, other tools like Shrine. There's a number of networks. You can think of this. Remember, I mentioned this big bucket where you can, we can throw all this data in, right? This is like one data warehouse. Well, you can have networks of these data warehouses, and there's a number of them. Like Pecori created a, a really a really large one and it's, it's available. There are companies like this one, and there's also, and there's also a, a institutions that have created their own networks. And this, 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 these networks, work, they all work on the same principle of identifying patient cohorts with very simple drag and drop uh, functionalities. Say, for example, if you will be interested in this type of informatics tools and, 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 and technologies, uh, this is what it will look like when you want to look at it, when you want to access it. Uh, I won't go into detail. Uh, John here is the expert, but basically, the, you, you as, a, as a scientist, you post a, you post a hypothesis, and then you go and try to and try to execute it by yourself. You go into that website I mentioned. You type, you drag and drop, and you create the type of cohort that you need. Once you think you know what you want. Then you go into the, the right side here, and this, uh, you can share this with a, what we call an honest broker, which is 
precisely the, the role that John is uh, at the moment, and he will actually be able to go and get you the actual patient data, identify patient data once you have your RIV protocols in place. So this is really, this is really what you can do right now. And uh, as you can see, you, you could do this the first, the, 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 the second part already before. You could ask, request these things by hand. But now you have these type of tools uh, that Synergy is providing that uh, allows you to do this by yourself, what we call self-service. And this is really one of the main goals that we are trying to do. And, uh, and again, I mentioned that you can have networks and networks and networks of networks of this type of, of, this type of data repositories. I mentioned a few of them, but these networks are now actually worldwide and they include millions of patients. So if you want to, so if you are in Dartmouth and you're looking for a cohort of patients for your study, and say for example, you don't have the patients that you need here, you could very easily in that type of, in, with, with that type of tool, go and start looking at what type of patients they have in Boston, or Idaho, or Texas, or Israel, or Australia. Within seconds, you could know at least the type of patients they have, if they would be interesting or not enough for your study. I'm going to skip these things because we don't have much time. I'll talk very briefly about one, one very, very specific case, very specific case of in the real world of how these things work. So this is some information from one study called the Adaptable Study. The Adaptable Study it was is a study uh, uh, pushed by Picori. The patient, uh, let me see, uh, that one. <laughs> so patient, uh, uh, outcomes? Center. patient center, <laughs> outcome research institute, and basically what they're trying to they, what they're trying to do is they created is this network of data warehouses, which is ten of them. There, so there's ten of these networks. Each one of these networks has about ten six to ten different data warehouses, uh, institutes. So there's, we have about a hundred potential data warehouses we can look into. And they launched, they launched the first countrywide uh, uh, trial on, uh, on aspirin, aspirin uh, uh, intake. So in this one, you can, you can see the power of this, type of, of this type of studies. Using this one, which is again, the first time this was ever tried, you can see just for this just for this uh, trial, there are 34 sites were included, and that one of the 34, 31 had enrolled by by January. This is information from January. Uh, out of this, already 6,000 subjects were randomized, and enrollment was already 43 percent of the projected enrollment for the study. This is a very powerful thing. If you can think of the, the type of numbers that we're, that we're talking about. If you look at this, for example, you have, this is the type of enrollment we, the, the, that we have. Say, for example, I don't know, uh, Duke. He has from 20,000 total eligible. That means that you could go in there and look at what, how many patients they actually have eligible in the data warehouse. 20,000 out of them, 3,000 approach. 18% uh, eligible, and actually we got 15 only last only for the previous week enrolling that study. So again, this is one one example of, of a very of a very uh, large study, but you can see that for example, uh, once ad once adaptable was kicked off in uh, in uh, 17 more or less. It was it was really in 16, but 
uh, it was really in practice, it was really kicked out with the golden tickets in 17. But within a year, from January 17 to January 18, there's already about around 6,000 patients enrolled. And the, and, the, and the projection was that there will be about 12,000 within the next year or so. So this, this is very powerful tools. This, and uh, what it would look like, I remember I showed you this video at the beginning where you could see this thing dragging, dragging and dropping. This is what, what a query would look like in Adaptable. If you can see, we're including, for example, patients with atherosclerosis and, and with orthocoronary bypass of two coronary arteries, but without taking aspirin maximum of strength, for example. It's just one example. This is the type of queries run in, a, in that particular study. Yeah, this is the more in text what we saw, which is basically, okay, there's things like, like including stroke, cardiac events, diabetes, uh, exclusion criteria with this type of, a certain type of age, bleeding, and I'm running out of time. Let me see if I can show you a little bit more. Um, one big, very, very brief note on governance. I'm always very, very, very pushing this. Uh, governance is the, is the cornerstone of this type of effort because the technology is there, right? But governance, which is the processes on how the technology will be, is adopted, how the technology is leveraged and used, and also how the agreements between institutions are done. This is really like at the cornerstone of how the technology will be used. And, and this is one of the big issues that is being discussed at the moment at, uh, here at Dartmouth. Because as, as we know, the college and the hospital are, very, are different entities. And... Uh, yeah, we, 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 I mentioned briefly this, that what we're trying to do using informatics is we're trying to have an informatician actually informing the scientist how, how his query, how his scientific question can be, can, be, can be formatted so the computer can understand it. This is, this is for example, when once you, have, you, you go into, the, into one of these tools and you create and you find a cohort of interest, but maybe your, your, your question is very complicated, like the one I show you in Adaptable, where it was really complicated with inclusions and exclusions. We also have, we, we also have the possibility of having uh, uh, meetings one-on-one -on, -one on uh, helping you how this process can be done, uh, what we call the, uh, uh, well, visits and stuff. So there's a lot of opportunity. We have all these technologies now, and we, there's, a, there's, a big, there's a big opportunity to do a lot of things that science, in science that we cannot do before using informatics, right? And this is, this is the, one of the things that, that uh, we're really, at Synergy is really trying to push uh, to bring NCC and the, the Cancer Center informatics into a next level, into the next step, and really provide uh, trying to help to inform the cancer center into providing some type of front door and automated, automated pipelines for, for cancer research. Uh, very importantly is starting to think about storage. In the, now that you, you guys are going into renewal, start thinking about, okay, storage, what are you going to do about storage for the long term? How are you going to work out the workflow for biobanking bio, bio, bio support? And that's going to be using this type of tools, this type of informatics tools. And the, and the idea is to push this culture of change so we can use this informatics-based research just to make things 
easier. You don't want to have to worry about the plumbing. You can worry about the science. And, and so on and so forth. And we, can, we can continue talking about, I mentioned uh, leaking EHR, the electronic health record to buy repositories, and of course, computer phenotyping. These are things that are really, we really think that could be very useful for cancer researchers. And I think I should wrap up. And so I would like to introduce you to, your next, to the next speaker, which is uh, Dr. Haslett. And he will be talking a bit on a similar subject, but uh, so you get a little bit of a, a wider idea of what we're talking about informatics. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Hello, folks. I appreciate the opportunity to come and talk today. Um, there will be some topical overlap between what Alfredo was talking about and, and, and what I'll be talking about. And I think that's actually appropriate because uh, I think one of the things we need to be talking about is what is all this stuff? What is data science? What is biomedical informatics? So I'll be addressing that question as well in the first part of my talk from a little bit of a different angle. So I have three sort of acts to this play that we're going to get through quickly. Uh, the first one is really just what I was just talking about. What is it that what is it that we're doing here in the biomedical data science department? And I should I should start by saying I'm not the authority. I have a window a window on this field and on what we are doing, um, and that's what I'll be sharing with you today. But BMDS is a big department, and there are people all over the institution that are involved. And the second uh, act will be going from the sort of definitional stage of what is this stuff to examples of what we're actually doing right now. Um, and then the third part will be a little bit about me and my training and my research agenda. Oh, and I want to draw one more contrast, too. What the, the tools that Alfredo was talking about are important tools that, especially as a CTSA, we need to have working here and have all these great functions that, uh, that we can realize here. And other people, if you go to a medical informatics conference, other universities are doing this, REDCap, I2B2, and there's a number of other tools that we're getting up to speed on. And that's, a, that's one aspect of what we do. Another aspect is creating de novo software to, to solve particular problems um, in research. And so I'm going to come at it from more of that angle. Instead of talking about existing tools, I'll be talking about new tools. Um, okay. So first part, what would you say you do here? Some of you probably enjoyed this movie as much as I did. Um, so we have all this jargon. We have data science, machine learning, Bioinformatics, biomedical informatics, what's the difference? Artificial intelligence. I'm going to talk about data science first. Um, and again, I, this is not, I'm not pontificating. This is just one thought on this. I think we, like I said, I think we all need to be talking about this. My take on, I guess I don't need to stand there. Oh, is this forward and back? Does that work? All right. Um, so this is my take on what data science is, right? There's, there is no one scientific method. And the dominant way of thinking about science and how we generate generalizable knowledge for hundreds of years has been the hypothetical deductive model, where you have a falsifiable hypothesis. You may have a randomized experiment, or you may have an observation. Um, and then you make a deduction. Uh, you deduce the truth after that. And we all know that confounding is a problem. So as scientists, we try to keep everything fixed except for our independent variables. Um, and we randomize when we can. Well, we have so much compute, computing power, and we have so much data in the world now that it's becoming more and more common to think of science 
simply as what are the data telling us? And that's, that's, to me, that's what really data science is. It, instead of proceeding from, you know, extrapolating from a history of research that gives you a new little hypothesis, let's look at the data, see what patterns are in there, and see what we can learn from it. So that's one man's take on data science. Artificial intelligence, we're all hearing about every day now. Uh, there's not a universal consensus, but there's actually a pretty strong consensus that the field of artificial intelligence was created here at Dartmouth, uh, not by uh, Dartmouth staff necessarily, but I, a lot of bright people from MIT and IBM who I think wanted to come up here in the summer and hang out for a few weeks and brainstorm. Um, one of those people was John McCarthy, you may have heard of. He was at MIT. Um, he coined the term artificial intelligence, and he developed a, a language called Lisp, which was dominant in the artificial intelligence world up until the 80s. Not dominant, but it was. We were thinking of artificial intelligence as symbol manipulation. That's what that language is for. And in the 80s, we switched to this thing called machine learning, which you can think of as one approach to artificial intelligence. And instead of thinking about symbol manipulation, which is one way of thinking of the brain, this machine learning takes a statistical approach. And the, the thing that they all have in common is that they're all algorithms, statistical algorithms, that do have the ability to learn. And there's a huge, of course, it's, it's all the rage right now. It's in the news every day. And there's a huge family of kinds of models under machine learning. So when people talk about deep neural networks, which are very popular right now, that is a machine learning uh, model. It's a kind. And, and there are many, many. There's a whole tree under machine learning. Uh, so quickly, bioinformatics versus biomedical informatics. Uh, the way my working definition is that bioinformaticians uh, have expertise in the life sciences. So they're doing genomics research, sequence analysis, things like that. Whereas biomedical informatics tends to deal with healthcare data, services, outcomes, higher level things. Um, but as Alfred was describing, uh, phenotype, computa computable phenotypes is a big thing right now. And when you think about computable phenotypes, the question is, what is a phenotype? Because in a sense, if a gene is expressed or a patient has a history of smoking, well, those are both things that happened. So in a sense, they're both phenotypes. And so when you think about computable phenotypes, we can look at both the biological data and the services and outcomes data. Um, so to me, there's sort of a subtle distinction between those two fields. But to call yourself a bioinformatician, you should have a lot of chops in biology. Okay, so that was the what do we do here part. The second part is some examples of what we're doing. And I'm going to start by just sort of briefly describing the work of some of my colleagues in our department to give you a flavor of what we have going on. Um, Saeed Hassanpour, I don't know if Saeed's here, uh, is sort of our resident uh, absolute expert on uh, machine learning, natural language processing, and other, other forms of machine learning research. And this is a paper from two years ago where he was doing natural language processing on radiology reports uh, to try to infer useful things uh, and, and make a computer smart about what is going on in diagnostic radiology based on the text that the clinicians put in. He's also more recently gotten into uh, medical imaging research with people in the radiology department. Um, as you may have heard, diagnostic radiologists are, I won't say they're nervous, but Computers are very good at looking at 2D images and figuring out what's going on. So he's collaborating with the radiology department to say, how can these tools that, that we're developing here, these black boxes, these models, help you do your job, not replace you, right? That's not going to happen. But collaborating with them and saying, what, what do you need and how can these models help? That's what he's doing right now. Um, 
Erica Moen, who's a new, uh, newish faculty member in our group, I don't know a lot about her work, um, but I know that one of her expertise, Erica's right over here, is network analysis. So here's another thing that I would call data science um, and biomedical informatics. What we have here is, I believe, services data related to cancer. And uh, when things happened and who they happened with, looking at basically networks of providers and how patients move between those providers. And I can't be any smarter about that work than that. You should ask Erica. But as you can see, this is very different from machine learning, but it's still biomedical informatics. Um, and a little bit more about network analysis. People often sort of be dis are dismissive because, okay, there's a lot of dots and lines. What, what does that tell me? The answer is it actually can tell you a lot, but you have to really understand the field um, to get there. Uh, so another example, Paul Barr, many of you may know at TDI. Um, I'm working with Paul and among others on a project. He has an R01 um, to look at. So patients are starting to record, make audio recordings of their encounters with their physicians. Uh, a lot of physicians in the room, so let's, that is somewhat controversial. Let's not talk about whether or not that's a good idea. It's happening. Um, and he has funding to basically take those recordings and turn, turn that into an app for patients that adds a lot more value than just the recording. So here, this is an example, and it's exposed on the web. This is our current working prototype, which I built as a web application. Um, and you can see this is a normal playback interface, so you'd think it'd be like any voice recorder. But what you also have here is you have these filters. And the idea, the machine learning aspect of this project, which is being led by Craig Gano, who's right here, um, in concert with Said, the idea is to automatically transcribe these recordings. We have that working. And then use natural language processing to basically identify the points in the conversation without knowing exactly what it was about, to probabilistically say these are the parts in the visit where you were talking about medication. So you come home from your doctor, you were talking about medication, and that's what you have a concern about, that's what you forget. You click on medication somewhere here. I guess it's not there. There's no tags for medication in this one. Um, and it just filters the whole thing. And so then as it plays, it highlights what's going on. It highlights it up here. This is just a prototype. But it gives you an idea of, from an informatics perspective, how we can take something like a voice recording and crunch it and add value for patients. Is this exciting work? And I think Paul's getting a lot of uh, good attention for what we're doing here. OK, so those are some examples. There are others, and I'll, I'll mention some work with Tracy Onega here in a little bit uh, as it relates to, to my work, but it's actually not my project. So my name is Will Hazlitt. I finished my PhD here uh, at TDI five years ago, and I trained at what was then called the Psychiatric Research Center under Bob Drake and Greg McHugo. And for my dissertation, I was fortunate enough to get to go to Chicago and uh, run my own randomized controlled trial of an iPad app that I wrote. Uh, to try to get people engaged in vocational services and psychiatric rehabilitation, which was a very interesting thing. I got to spend a year on the ground working with these clinics. And essentially, we compared it to standard of care, which is just about nothing, a brochure. And sure enough, a fancy iPad app that automatically emails the uh, employment specialist and gets them in touch with you, that works better than a brochure. That's what we proved. It was a low bar, uh, <laughs> but it was a dissertation, so that's that's... <laughs> That's what you get. <laughs> I remember Bob saying, you, you know, you want to compare it to something easy for your first one. Um, okay, so that's, that's my background. And so, oh, and I, when I finished my PhD, I moved out to Utah and started my own LLC and did some consulting work because I was sort of doing a little moonlighting while I was in grad school as well. And that was fun for a couple of years. 
And then when we hired Amar Das, um, uh, an old colleague and friend, Stephen Andrews, called me up and said, we need help in the biomedical data science department. And I can't, I've moved away from the Upper Valley three times in 20 years, and I keep coming back. So uh, this time I bought a house, and I'm staying. Um, so here's some other current activities that are going on with me. Um, so in the machine learning world, this is, this is funded by Synergy. We, we, you know, and community engagement is an important part of what the CTSA does. And so we want to develop an app, we have developed an app, that basically compiles all the information that we have about clinical trials at Dartmouth that are currently recruiting and presents that to uh, the community in a sort of digestible, lay-friendly way. Well, one thing we're still working on at Dartmouth is a database where we can all look in and get that answer, basically, we as employees, and, and get a comprehensive list of who's recruiting what now. It's a complicated, somewhat political thing, and we will get there. In the meantime, what we decided to do was to scrape information from clinicaltrials.gov, with which I imagine you're all familiar, where you have to publish some information about the trial that you're, you're giving. The problem with clinicaltrials.gov is that it's very jargon-heavy. So what we did is we built what's called a supervised uh, machine learning model, a support vector machine that scrapes all the data on clinicaltrials.gov about research that's going on here. And it looks at each new trial that pops up. It does this every night. And it looks at the, the text that's in there, the jargon, and says, I think this trial is mostly about this. And then the this is a simple word that everyone in the in community can understand. Obvious example would be neoplasm versus tumor. Um, so that, that is, there's a working prototype of that, and I'm excited about it, but I think that to really get our community engagement sort of app in place and in use, it's going to be Synergy 2.0 uh, because we have a lot of other things going on. How am I doing on time? Okay. Um, so uh, I already mentioned the work with Paul Barr. That's another thing I have going on. It takes up a lot of my time. Um, and like I say, it's a very exciting project. And the visual analytics, this Tracy Onaga, who is here, this is not my project, and I can't take credit for anything that has happened with it, but it is, uh, it's an exciting uh, project, and I encourage you to take a look at it. I, it's, it's online, but it's not really online yet. Uh, we're still working on it. But essentially what it is is it's a, it's a visual analytics tool to look at cancer epidemiology and services data from a number of different sources all over northern New England. Um, and you have an interactive map that you can plot proportions and counts of different kinds of cancers and compare them to services, things like of the cancers that were within 60 miles of here, what proportion of them were treated, excuse me, at Hitchcock. And it's, it's really quite cool. Rebecca Fail, who is um, a really gifted programmer who unfortunately is no longer with us at Dartmouth, um, wrote the, this software. And I'm trying to learn what she did so that I can improve it. Um, but as an example, in, when you have one of these plots, you can you can interact with it, and you can look at lines of constant travel time, right, which is a very ugly shape. So you can look at so people who are up in Orford, people are, who are in some other place, how long is it going to take them to get to all the different options that they have for the care that they're receiving? It, visual analytics gives you an opportunity to just sort of explore those questions and then move on from there to actually deal with the numbers. Um, right, and so a nascent project that I really am looking forward to doing, because this will be my first, uh, in my whole career, my first sort of self-started project. It's a zero-budget project. Uh, as, as some of you may know, there's, a, there's a RFID data being collected in our infusion suite, has been being collected for three years. Uh, opinions vary on how useful that data can possibly be. 
but it hasn't really been looked at that closely. So uh, an old friend of mine, Ivy Wilkinson Ryan, who's now an attending uh, in gynecological oncology, uh, brought this to my attention. And we have an IRB app in simply to look at those three years of data of physically where patients are as they move through the infusion suite. My understanding is it's a sort of long and complicated process. You come in, you get your labs drawn, you wait for the results, you go see the doc, and then they order the chemo, and then you go back and you wait for the chemo, and then you go into the infusion suite. Many of you know this. Um, and the idea is that we make people, some people wait too long when they're having to do that because we have to sort of schedule everything for the worst-case scenario. What we're wondering is, can we look at these, these uh, location data associated with the EMR data and figure out sort of a class of people who we can fast-track through the infusion suite? Because they come in on time every time, <laughs> that's important, um, and their treatment is stable. They seem to get the same thing every time. So as a, as a patient builds a history, you can sort of look at the data to say, this is how we should handle this patient, and this is how we should handle this patient. Um, it's not clear that that's going to pay off, but to me this is an example of that second kind of science that I was talking about at the beginning. We don't really have a hypothesis about what all these, these data of everybody walking around the infusion suite is, is going to tell us. We can't know until we start digging and applying some of these analytic techniques that I've been talking about to those data. So as I say, that's in the IRB now. Um, and once it's approved, my hope is that that will serve uh, referring to governance, as Alfredo was talking about, as a, you know, a little test of the medical school and the hospital uh, collaborating. Um, and so that's about all I have. Oh, and I should say, coming soon, <laughs> the one thing I didn't mention, I mentioned working with a lot of different people, but I did not mention working with my boss, Alfredo Torado Ramos. Um, <laughs> and I think that's in part because, uh, as he was describing, since he's been here, we've both been very busy working with grants, getting the synergy renewal going. Um, but I look forward to, once we have more time and we're not working on grants, to having these examples be more about Alfredo's research agenda. Um, once he has been here for more than a few months and has time to to keep it going. Uh, so that's that, and I have one more slide. Um, I, this is a sales pitch. I, have a, I happen to have a present opportunity. As a research scientist, there aren't a lot of opportunities for me to get my own funding, but the NCI currently does have an R50 mechanism uh, out. And the idea is that for someone who's a full-time uh, research scientist or data scientist, uh, it frees you up salary-wise to, to work with a domain expert such as yourselves to answer informatics questions like the ones I've been discussing that may pay off in oncology. Um, in order to get that, of course, I need to partner with somebody at the Cancer Center. And I've been talking to a few people and we'll be talking to more about that opportunity. So if what I've said here today is of interest to you and you, you think, wow, you know, I have had this question and maybe uh, computers could help answer it, uh, feel free to contact me. Uh, it is sort of a short time frame sort of thing. Um, yeah. We've got a couple months to do that. So, uh, yeah, feel free to shoot me an email because um, I would very much like to apply for that grant. Uh, yeah, that's all I have. Thank you for your time. Hello, hello. Can you hear me back there? 
My name's John. John Higgins. I've been here at the Medical Center for about 20 years right now. I came to Dartmouth in the year 2000. Um, um, so uh, four of the things that I do here right now is I'm the North Cotton Cancer Center uh, dedicated research data broker. Uh, I also am the uh, honest data broker for uh, Synergy researchers, those folks that don't have a clinical appointment at Hitchcock. And uh, I, I act as their data broker through the Synergy um, uh, services. Uh, one thing, uh, a certification that I did earn back in 2011 was uh, I'm an EPIC certified uh, clarity report writer that gives me the privilege of uh, working right in the back end of EPIC, our EPIC implementation. And um, I think that's, uh, that's been a fun thing for me to be working with uh, since 2011. And um, I'm also your I2B2 administrator. Uh, Alfredo gave you a quick look at the I2B2 tool. That's CTSA software that's available for us here uh, right now. Um, honest Data Broker, it's kind of a, it's, it's a term that's been around for quite a while, but I'm, I'm your person that brings you the data that you need, the raw material that you need to uh, turn your data into research information. Um, and so uh, I lifted this little quote right out of uh, Wikipedia. It was, it was uh, pretty easy. I think it pretty much exemplifies the core of what I do here. Uh, Alfredo asked me uh, last week to just uh, give you a couple of examples of uh, what, uh, what data brokerage is here. Um, and so I broke that up into two portions. Uh, I have uh, internal data brokerage activities um, that uh, I'll tell you about uh, here uh, real quick. And then um, there's a big one uh, that's an external data brokerage activity called Orion, and I'm going to finish up with that. Orion is the Oncology Research Information Exchange Network. Dr. Dragnev is our PI on uh, Orion. Um, just quickly, um, things that I do here, uh, uh, one, one thing that we have is uh, uh, over the past couple of years, we've done an NDI death match with our cancer patients. So. Uh, the way that works is uh, we pull data out of tumor registry, send it to the uh, uh, CDC. They match it and return vital status for us. We have that uh, NDI data set available for cancer researchers. Um, uh, for, and we can do uh, five-year survival, 2010 to 2014. Um, we did a second match uh, in two th for 2000 uh, in 2016 diagnosed cases. That, uh, that work is, is, uh, has been submitted. I've got part of the data back, but it's a work in progress, and hopefully we're going to have survival data, the best survival data that, you know, here in the United States we can have for you folks, uh, for, for uh, cancer researchers. Um, here's an example of uh, some research data sets that I've uh, participated in. I'm, you know, I'm a lucky guy. I got to work with Amar Das on the first one. Um, in, uh, when Omar first got here in 2013, we extracted breast cancer cases out of the tumor registry and then matched them to uh, the EPIC EMR and followed them. We followed them to different locations. We followed them through their inpatient and outpatient visits here at the medical center. Uh, and uh, we were able to uh, do some pretty interesting things. Uh, Dr. Mowen's uh, visualization, I think uh, some of the data that uh, Amar and I extracted was, was part of uh, Dr. Mowen's research. Uh, uh, and uh, with that data, we were able to uh, do some research validating an associated memory engine. Uh, and then uh, the big one was a sequence alignment algorithm that Amar and 
a, post, uh, a doctoral student did, uh, where we we followed women through their cancer treatments, and we used the uh, the what we call the MAR, the Medication Administration Record. While we have you here as an inpatient, we know exactly what sort of medi medications you get, and most of our breast cancer patients come back here to the infusion suite right downstairs, and we could look at the sequence of drugs that were uh, administered and, and look for patterns, look for sequence alignment right there. So uh, more recently, uh, I've been working with Dr. Uh, Saeed Hassanpour, who uh, Will mentioned earlier, and, and that, these have been really fun projects for me where I get to do uh, where you get to mash up a whole bunch of different data sets from different sources and then you know turn it into uh, turn it into music if I can say it that way. Um, one thing I've been able to do with Saeed is uh, some natural participate in some natural language processing work, where we extract surgical pathology reports, and then uh, match them up to with uh, Dr. Greg Sangalas to some genetic information. And uh, in 2016 or 17, we published a paper showing associations between non I gotta get this right. Non-small, non-small cell lung cancer patients, and uh, uh, so the uh, the clinical findings in their notes, together with the somatic uh, mutations that uh, came from their biospecimens. So we used a whole bunch of different data there, stuff sourced in the limb system. We used notes, and we used EMR data to. Uh, uh, demonstrate those associations. And then the last one has been really fun. Um, the title of that paper was Deep Learning for Classification of uh, Colon Polyps on Whole Slide Images. Uh, that, is, uh, that's, uh, that was done in 2017, and it is analyzing uh, two-dimensional images and uh, matching a lot of that information to the, the information that's in the surgical pathology notes, and then classifying them. Um, Oh, I2B2 is here. This is a shameless promotion right now. Uh, it's, it's a really big thing. I'm very excited about having it here. I've been working on I2B2 since 2013, and it's great to see it up and going. Uh, in um, September, we did three or four workshops just to kick it off. Uh, as I said uh, before, I'm your I2B2 administrator. Uh, you can request users in the I2B2 system through the Synergy Inspire system. Uh, you can also request an I2B2 user through the DHSM ticketing system. We'll get you on board. What's I2B2? Alfredo said it. It's a cohort discovery tool that uh, can be uh, extended into networks beyond what's right here. So uh, we're really excited about working on joining uh, one of the Shrine networks, possibly working with Trinetics. Uh, and, and the uh, ACT network, the Accrual to Trials networks. So um, here's what the I2B2 front end looks like. I just want to make sure you're aware. It's got all of Epic loaded in there, all your meds, all your labs, and it's also got the tumor registry. So uh, you can explore cohorts, phenotypes in their medical record. Hopefully we'll have genomic information in here. There's placeholders for biospecimens, uh, so it's it's a wonderful thing. Um, and then lastly, there's Orion, the, the Oncology Research Information Exchange Network that I'm working on. I am the data broker for Orion right here. Our uh, PI is Konstantin Dragnev. It's a collaborative uh, uh, work with M2Gen started by Moffitt and uh, the James Center, uh, Cancer Center at Ohio State. Uh, it integrates phenotypes 
and genotypes and biospecimens into a big common data set. Um, we started working, uh, participating in Orion in early 2018. We enrolled our 34th patient, patient yesterday. Um, and uh, there's two, two or three different levels to uh, Orion. Um, you can consent to have your tissue used, but if your disease is one of the target diseases that Orion is working on, you can also submit biospecimens for sequencing. We've got three of those submitted. We haven't got our data back yet, but uh, genomic information is the real goal that hope, we hope to be gleaning from that. Uh, Orion Avatar altogether, uh, I just read their statistics. There's, what is it, 7,427 patients that have worked through the avatar level, uh, level of Orion so far. We've got three of them, so we're trying to boost, uh, boost stuff. That's my last slide. Uh, I want to say thanks to Alfredo for calling me up here, and uh, I don't get to come out of hiding up there on, uh, on the eighth floor very often, but I'm here, uh, and it's, uh, it's really exciting stuff to be able to tell you about the work that we do in informatics. If you have questions, we're at time. I'll be happy to hang around and ask, answer questions. At, uh, Just any questions for the three of us, please. Yes, Linda. Alfredo, is there going to be a time to learn more about this? Yes, definitely. So we are we are in, uh, very invested in education and training about synergy, and uh, we will continue doing talks all over campus, of course. And also, we have as as uh, John just just mentioned. We just finished our first series of workshops on what informatics tools we have. We started with IPT, only because we were excited about it. But we're going to continue doing this with RedCap, with Try, with all kinds of tools that we think might be of interest. We're going to send polls to see what people will be interested in talking about. And specifically for cancer, we will be very interested in talking to, getting feedback from cancer researchers on what the topics will be. I mentioned a few of them, the storage of genomics uh, of Orion, for example, uh, biobanking, and all kinds of this kind of things. So there will be a number of opportunities to interact with us. And uh, one very important thing, if you ever have a question or anything you would like to know about informatics at Dartmouth, send an email to informatics at Dartmouth. <laughs> it wishes us. <laughs> any, any questions? Thank you very much for coming.